This is ContraZoom. Where we go back and forth about film. I'm Dakota Arsenault. And I'm Rachel Ho. On today's episode, we are looking at the 48th edition of the Toronto International Film Festival, which is about to kick off running from September 7th to the 17th. The festival will be screening over 200 films this year. It'll look a little differently with the WGA and SAG after strikes going on, limiting how much press will be done, but we are still very excited for the movies that are being shown. Today, Rachel and I are going to be sharing our five most anticipated movies that are playing. Uh, before we get started, though, what do you think of the overall lineup of films this year, Rachel? Hmm, it's okay. Um, I'm... It's not, I think, especially if you compare it to last year's, it is, there's no big, there's no big showstopper. There's no Mm -hmm. big, um, there's no new Spielberg. There's no new, like even something like Canadian, like there's that, that Sarah Pauly came out last year. It's like, we don't really have something like that this year. And if you contrast it to Venice's program lineup, you kind of understand why TIFF doesn't feel as big or as significant now i say that and what might end up happening is a ton of films come out of the festival which are just going to absolutely rock my socks and i hope that that's what happens but just kind of looking at it i'm not overly i'm not overly like excited (laughs) about it um especially when i looked at venice because i was like oh venice actually has a lot of cool stuff this year yeah i i think i agree with you when i was looking through the lineup it was one of those things where there was no movie that like oh this is my most anticipated movie of the year like there usually is at tiff instead it was about like narrowing down to five movies was hard because there's about 25 movies where i'm like ooh, i'm kind of interested in this but like i'm not like gonna be in the theater day one for it so it's it's i agree with you where there's probably gonna be a whole bunch of like surprise great films in here or or ones we we assume will be good might even be even be better than we expect it but yeah there there's nothing that's blowing you away that tiff normally has that wow factor that definitely sort of seems to be lacking this year it's kind of funny because usually when you do these preview episodes you're like i can't choose because there are so many great like big big headliners or not even big headliners because i think you and i are actually very good about not just necessarily we usually try to avoid those yeah yeah, like, and so, but this year it's more of, uh, yeah, these are, this is okay. This looks good. Like, this looks interesting. I mean, there are a few in my five that I am genuinely very excited to watch. Um, but I'd say the majority was like, yeah, I, I could include that or I could mm-hmm. include that. And so that's kind of what made it harder to, <laughs> to decipher um, or to pick the five rather. Um, but, you know, regardless, it's how many years? I think my second year doing TIFF, maybe third. I can't remember. I think third, actually, including like a virtual year. Um, it's still an exciting time and it's still fun to be able to go down to downtown and like actually enjoy the festival atmosphere. I know you're not going to be able to. Sorry to rub it in your face. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> that's your choice, dude. That was it. No one else's choice. Uh, but it, it is fun. Like I even I sit here and I say, oh, like I wish that, you know, I'm not as enthused about the TIFF lineup, you know, and enthusiastic tiff lineup is still a tiff lineup so i'm Mm -hmm. still looking forward to going to the festival yeah yeah absolutely and uh in tiff related news is very interesting uh just yesterday it was announced that this is the last year that 
Bell is sponsoring the festival, and next year they will not have a title sponsor as of the moment going on right now. So that's something to pay attention that. to to see how that sort of plays out. I know we don't usually talk about tiff behind the scenes or, or drama yeah. sort of stuff but like maybe next year we'll be going to the tiff rogers light box to watch oh, movies God. that's gonna that's probably gonna be what happens too isn't it it's just gonna be like a rogers nonsense <laughs> like, i let know. it how about it not be a telecom let's make it a bank instead. Oh, right yeah <laughs> i didn't know that that's really really interesting mm-hmm. um that's yeah. That's actually very fascinating. I'm I'm very curious who's going to pick up, who's going to pick that up. It could be Scotiabank. They've been picking up a lot of stuff around Toronto. Mm-hmm. Rogers mm-hmm. is a very good show, though. It <laughs> could be Rogers. Yeah. Who knows? Oh, that'd be interesting. Yeah. Maybe that's something we cover in the like the end of year news stories. Yeah. Because we'll probably know by then. I definitely think it's something that needs to kind of be paid attention to a little bit because absolutely whether or not we want to admit it, it really affects. The film yes. festival because they rely so much on corporate funding to be able yeah. to run. Absolutely, and I mean, if anyone, if you're like, if you're Canadian, Rogers is one of like I mean, they're one of the biggest companies in the country at this point, aren't they? Yes, and they are amazingly cheap when it comes to the Toronto Blue Jays. At the minimum, is what I'm going to say. So I don't. I, but the thing is with TIFF, like that's different, is that the whole point is to spend a lot of money to make it look very extravagant and to kind of make it look alongside a can or a Venice. I mean, it used to be kind of considered a bit above Venice, but like it's meant to be a very extravagant event mm-hmm. um, where with mixing in the kind of the more laid back culture of Toronto, which I would argue Toronto is not as laid back as it was when the festival first started. I think it is getting a bit hoity-toity around these parts but um yeah oh i'm very curious to see who who picks that up uh that'll be interesting for movie industry wise but also just kind of on a canadian business level like that'll be very interesting to see who takes it yeah okay uh well let's get into our movies i organize mine alphabetically i don't really have a list of most to least anticipate it and i would say looking at my list the thing that all kind of connects them all is more the director exciting me than the actual film subject matter stars stuff like that what how did you go about making your list i'd say the same thing however i would argue don't you think you and i that's typically how we go about picking like i feel like you and i get more excited when we see like a certain director yeah or to a lesser extent a certain actor but like if we know that like for oh like Alex Garland's got like a new script he's he's got a new script out there we'd be like oh shit we need to go watch that yeah um versus oh there's this movie that is about like we could hear a movie and be like oh that's kind of interesting but I feel like those types of movies where you hear the plot and you think oh that sounds like an interesting one that comes like in the middle of the festival when you hear people talking about it and you go oh that does sound really interesting and I I kind of want to go check that out but mm-hmm. on first glance for me the easiest way is to just look at who are the directors who's coming out um maybe a director who hasn't been working for a little while or a particular actor that you're just fond of and and you want to be like oh I want to watch them um and I actually I have one documentary in mind and oh. I suppose in that sense then that the documentary is something I was like I'm interested in the content oh no no cuz it's the person <laughs> we'll get to it when we get to it we'll get to it okay well then Rachel why don't you start us off what is uh, the first movie on your list 
Sure. So I was saying, you know, directors who haven't been around for a little while. Um, I, my very first pick is a movie called The Boy and the Heron, which is a uh, Miyazaki movie and meant to be his last one, I believe. For now. For now. I Just don't like really the last one believe. was his last one. <laughs> exactly. I don't believe directors anymore when they say that they're done. I just don't believe it. Um, but at the same time, not complaining. I am not complaining in the slightest. I think Miyazaki is one of the amazing uh, filmmakers, amazing artists of our time. And we're very lucky to live in a time where we see his movies come out and we can watch them incredibly accessible now today. Then it's like when I was little, I remember we had uh, bootlegs of them and because they were just kind of tough to find you couldn't really i don't know if you could go to jumbo video and find them probably not not really because back then i don't know if there was as much interest in japanese animation as there is today so today i know netflix has a whole stable of his films and so he's got a new one out and this one is focused again within the second world war um and anyone who has seen Spirited Way, Grave of the Fireflies, you know that it's probably going to be a bit of a heavy, heavy watch when it comes to Miyazaki and the, the Second World War, as it should be. Um, and initially, he was going to base it off of a novel called How Do You Live? And that's obviously a Japanese or an English translation of a Japanese um, title. And the story, to my understanding, is that it, he was initially going to just adapt the film or sorry, adapt the book into an animated film. But then it ended up being kind of more inspired by that book and he's taken it to a whole new level. So I'm incredibly excited to watch it. I'm just a really big fan of his work. And I don't think I've ever seen one of his movies in a movie theater oh. now that I think about it. I don't think I've ever seen one in a movie theater. So I'm really excited for that experience, generally speaking. And I don't know if he's coming to Toronto. That'd be kind of fun if he was. Yeah, it's it's so interesting with this movie because they're basically, you know, I think a lot of us online film fans have often just wished, be like, hey, I would love it if you just told us what the movie is and, you know, just sort of release it. Like, we'll be there. <laughs> we, we love these people. And uh, Miyazaki's kind of done that where he's like, I'm giving you the poster. That's all you're getting. Yeah. And, and I and, love that. I love it. Yeah. I love him because it's kind of it's he's kind of like Nolan. I don't need to know anymore. Just, yeah, that's the thing. And like, I, I don't know if it was him or his, the company sort of relented a little bit because some still images did come out for images and a very, very, very bare bones plot outline has been released. But there's still so far no trailer, um, nothing else like that. So and everyone's raving about that has seen it because it has screened at another festival already. I believe mm -hmm. I can't remember where else. I um, believe in Japan it's already come out or not come out, but um, like you said, yeah. it's screened. It's screened there. Yeah. So I, I think once again, people are going to be excited and it's just, it's the sort of thing where it's like, you're either going to see a Miyazaki movie or you're not. A trailer's not going to convince you to go see mm -hmm. a Miyazaki movie. I, I'm, I, this is not the platform to do this, but I don't, I'm not into watching trailers really. I don't mind if I go to the movies and then I see a trailer there, but I've never been one that like tracks them down online to see. Cause number one, I feel like a lot of trailers give a lot away today and mm -hmm. they give the best parts of a movie away. So then by the time you actually go sit down, you're like, I've already seen all of this, uh, mission impossible being a very <laughs> good example of that. Like, why would you show your biggest stunt in the well, the whole entire marketing was based off of that. But yeah. so anyways, I respect somebody like Miyazaki who says, no, I'm not doing that. Um, 
you just come to my movie, <laughs> come to my movie and watch it um, or don't. And what does he care really at this stage in his career? And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely, I'm very, very excited to watch this. And this is one of those that I don't normally try and be like, I really want to get in on, on the opening night. Like I really want to take it, but this is one of those. I'm like, I, it would be just really cool to watch this at uh, Roy Thompson nice in the premiere. Well, my first movie is also a Japanese film, and that is Evil Does Not Exist from Raisuki Hamaguchi, who mm. we last saw with Drive My Car a couple years ago, where it won uh, Best International Feature at the Oscars. Uh, I've got some plot synopsis here, so I'll, I'll read them out. Uh, because I, I feel like for the most part, these movies aren't really well known by people. Um, but this one is Takumi and her eight-year-old daughter, Hana, reside in a forested region of Japan that remain largely unsullied by large-scale development. Until now, a pair of agents come to Takumi's village to propose a glamping project, a resort for vacationers who want to feel like they're camping without getting their fingernails dirty. During the briefing, locals critique numerous flaws in the project, from fire hazards to inadequate septic tanks, but the blank responses from the agents make it clear this exercise is purely tokenistic. The agency is determined to move forward regardless of whether locals approve. Now, I read all that. Sounds very interesting. But, Rachel, would you say you were interested when I said Hamaguchi had a new movie? Yes. I, exactly. You know, solely based off. I was talking to uh, my cousin's husband said to me recently, he goes, uh, I've he goes, I finally watched Drive My Car. <laughs> it was one of those that he knew he knew he's a big film buff, so he was like, I knew I should watch it, but it was just the length of it was quite mm-hmm. daunting to him, which I do understand that. Um, but then he sat down, he was in the mood for it, and he watched it and he absolutely loved it. And then I was like, Well, guess what? He's got a new movie at TIFF. So And he was really <laughs> excited by that because he was like, Oh, that's interesting. So I can like watch another one of his films because he was saying to me, What else by him would you recommend? kind of thing. Um, so I'm I'm really excited, and I think it feels like Drive My Car was just last year, but I realize it was not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was two years ago. Yeah, but um, I, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Like I said, it didn't matter what the movie was going to be about. Um, yeah, tell me Hamaguchi's movies out, and I'm there. I'm I'm yeah. right there. Yeah, it's probably going to be three hours long. It's probably yeah. gonna be slow as shit, but it's going to be the most exciting thing you you'll see all year. I don't know about exciting. <laughs> but it, I think it'll be like, it's just one of those, it just, it, I don't even know how to describe it. Like, it just hits you in this way that it's kind of just kind of stirring almost. Like, it yeah. just sits with you and it, and it's, it, I, w- I really wouldn't call it exciting. Like, it's not no, an exciting that's, that's film true. that you're like, holy shit, he's jumping Ham- off the cliff. Is, Hamaguchi <laughs> is a low simmer. Yeah, very low simmer. But yeah. it's, yeah, it's great though. It's yeah. great. Um, what do you have next? My next movie is called The Critic, and it is – so the reason that I was pulled to this was the cast, actually. So Ian McKellen and Mark Strong, uh, the two of them are playing – well, Mark Strong is playing a uh, the, kind of the owner of a family paper, and uh, Ian McKellen – sorry, I forgot his name there <laughs> – Ian McKellen, he plays a theater critic, and – they're trying to cut costs in the paper, something. This movie is set in 1936, but it's still like a very real issue today. Um, probably more real than it. Well, actually, no, 1936. It was pretty real back then, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're looking to fire uh, Ian McKellen and his character, Jimmy, who is a openly gay critic. And despite kind of the rampant homophobia at the time, he is still writing in a way that is true to himself, even if 
other people see it and think what is going on here like this is indecent inappropriate um for our society so on and so forth Gemma art our art archerton Thank you. She's in it as well. And she's playing an actress who is typically the target of Jimmy um, in his reviews and quite scathing. And so the two of them, uh, Mark Strong's character and Gemma Arterton, I don't know why I'm really struggling with that name, Gemma's character. The two of them um, are basically looking to gun down Jimmy and take him out. And Jimmy says, I'm going to entrap the two of them. So it's kind of an interesting thriller yet drama. And I I find it really, it's a, it's one, it's got the period thing. Like you'd love that. It's like like a Mm -hmm. different time period, but two, I just think the cast is amazing. I don't think I've ever seen Mark Strong and Ian McKellen together in a film and to have them go head to head with one another, I think is just going to be absolutely phenomenal. So I'm really, really looking forward to this one. Who's the director of that one again? The director is Anand Tucker, who I'm mm. not too familiar with. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not familiar with it either. But uh, I this was one that had uh, crossed my radar as well, and it sounds super interesting. Obviously, anytime you get McKellen in something, you know it's going to be good. Yeah. And Mark Strong is is a really good character actor as well, so it's nice to see him pop up in a leading role. Gemma as well, whose last name I cannot pronounce today, but she's great as well. Yes. I really do like her as an actress. Yes. Yeah, that should be a fun one for sure. Um, my next one is a movie called Hitman, which was directed mm. by Richard Linklater. Gary Johnson is a philosophy professor by day, lecturing his students on theories of morality. In his downtime, he works with the police in surveillance vans as a tech-savvy staff investigator during undercover sting operations. When the temperamental officer who normally plays the role of Hitman is placed on leave for misconduct, Milk Toast Gary is asked to step in because he vaguely resembles the ousted officer. To everyone's surprise, Gary thrives impersonating the fabricated killers. So, Linklater is... I love him. He's one of my favorite directors, but he certainly can be a little hit or miss. You look at his filmography Mm -hmm. and for every 10 out of 10 masterpiece, he's got like a four out of 10 completely forgettable movie. And you're always like, wow, how does, how does he keep pulling it off of these such highs and lows and his track record with comedy once again, has some really highs and highs and lows with Movies like Days and Confused and Everybody Wants Some. And he reunites with his Everybody Wants Some Glenn, uh, star Glenn Powell uh, as this lead philosophy professor slash uh, now secret undercover cop. Uh, but So I'm really excited because I do love Linklater and I do think Glenn Powell's a really interesting actor. I think he's really funny uh, when he's given the comedy roles. So I'm, I'm definitely curious about this. Who knows? This might be a complete miss, but I'm still excited for it regardless. I, I, Linklater was always a director that I'm like, eh, he's all right. Like he's okay. But then I stop and I really think the movies that he's done that I love, I love them. Like they are yeah. some of the top, top films in my list. Like Apollo 10 and a half is still a love movie. It. Like so I good. throw that on every now and then. Cause I just love it so much. Um, and, uh, what was it scanner darkly? And then of course, like the, the, the before movies. And thank you. Like yeah. Those ones. I mean, Boy, those are very in a separate category all to themselves but he is one he's like a director that i kind of forget about sometimes i'm always like oh yeah like i like him but like you said a lot of highs and a lot a lot of lows though too so i'm curious about it i think i am gonna watch that one i'm gonna try to check that one out because um yeah the last thing he did was apollo is the last thing he did 10 and a half i think it is i believe so yeah 
Yeah. So I love that movie and I am willing to to sit through another one of his films, even if it ends up not being great. I think it'll be interesting. And um, I'm a Glenn Powell fan as well. I think that he's pretty cool. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All right. What is your next film? My next one is one that I believe is also on your list, which is Dumb Money. Um, I've removed it from my list to include something else. Oh, okay. I was like, you said you're going in alphabetical order. I'm like, did I miss something? Because maybe (laughs) I wasn't listening. And that's a shock horror for people that I wasn't listening. Yo, what up, everybody? Roaring Kitty here. I'm going to pick a stock and talk about why I think it's interesting. And that stock is GameStop. I love this guy. Retail traders have hooked into GameStop. I think they think it's a good investment. It looks like there's one guy driving all the buying. Who is this schmuck? Dumb money, man. Happy to take it. Wall Street is betting that this company is going to fail. But if it fails, these hedge fund assholes make a shit ton of money. 70,000 people have watched this video. Kitty, I love you! So Dumb Money, it is directed by Craig uh, Gillespie, who people remember from uh, I, Tonya, And he did another big movie that I can't think of right now. Um, but I, Tonya for me, gives him a lot of great leeway because I love that movie. Dumb Money is about the GameStop madness that happened, what, like two years ago, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's about it's going behind the scenes so kind of in a big short type of way but also looking at the craze that it caused online as well we've had a lot of movies now about stuff <laughs> like this year has been a lot of movies about stuff so you have air uh tetris flame and cheetos beanie babies what else i'm missing something oh blackberry, blackberry. Yeah, yeah there's one um and this is kind of in the similar vein. And I have to admit, I'm getting really sick of this, whatever genre this is. Um, but this one looks really interesting to me. It's got a really cool cast. It's got Paul Dano, Seth Rogen is in it. Um, and I think it's just going to be, I'm not expecting like big, big things from it. It is one of the bigger movies, I think, that's coming out at TIFF this year. Uh, but just the cast alone and the director, I really do like Craig Gillespie. I think that his, um, I really like the tone that he has in his movies and the way that he goes about telling. Like, I, Tanya was based off of obviously true events. So I'm curious to see how he takes uh, what happened with GameStop as well. I don't know, though, and you can weigh in on this. Is it too soon to be talking about GameStop? Because <laughs> that was so recent. Because everything mm-hmm. else that I mentioned of all those movies, those all happened in the 90s, the early 2000s, GameStop literally was just not that, like when I'll say, when I got an email about this movie earlier this spring, I, and this was before kind of an announcement was made, I didn't realize that a movie about GameStop was happening. And I emailed the rep back being like, that was really quick. Like they came out with this thing really fast. Uh, so I don't know, maybe it's just me. Like I I just think it's it's really fast for a movie to be coming out about this. Yeah, I I agree on that aspect. I really hate this trend of doing, you know, biopics or movies based on true stories that like come out a year after the event yeah. had happened. And just like, we don't, usually at this time, we don't even know what the full scope and the mm-hmm. ramifications of stories like this are. And it sometimes takes years and years and years to be able to properly look back and be like, oh, this is indicative of what was happening at the time. 
So Blackberry being a great example of that, like Blackberry. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. If, if they had made, you know, the Blackberry movie at the height or right <laughs> at the start of their downfall or whatever it is, it would have totally changed. Yeah how you perceive it. So I agree with you in that sense. I, I am very excited for this. I would say, you know, we were talking at the start about, you know, big name movies and there seems to be a lack of it. I would say dumb money and next goal wins are probably Mm -hmm. the two really big name movies for me that are playing Mm -hmm. that I'm very excited about. Um, I remember when this happened and I just like could not understand what they were doing. <laughs> so it's, it's nice that hopefully in, in like the vein of like the big short or something like that, oh. it sort of helps explain the yeah. situation of what was going on to lay people. Fair. That actually, you know what? That's a good point. Cause I think big short did, it did a good job of explaining it to like my, my dad, he teaches um, accounting in college here in Toronto and he uses big short a lot for examples to how to like explain certain things like shorting stocks and things like that. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of people in his class are uh, exchange, not exchange students. What's the word am I looking for? International students. And so it, it's very, very helpful um, because those things can be quite dense. Like the stock market stuff can be quite dense to understand. So I never thought of it that way, actually. That's yeah, that's good. But I, I, to your earlier point, like I, this is on my list and this is something I am very much so looking forward to, but I feel like the significance of ga- that, what happened with GameStop, we just don't really know it yet. Like yeah. in five years time, we might have all forgotten about it because it really had no significance whatsoever on us at all, other than just being this kind of funny blip in the system that happened. But who knows like we we don't know and then maybe that that is the beauty of having some time in between games like an event happening and then a movie coming out about it but it's also funny whenever we get a movie based on something that happens on the internet i'm always Mm -hmm. like really we're going with the internet thing all right cool all right we'll see how it works out (laughs) i think they've one thing i'll say they've gotten better about how to portray internet stuff (laughs) in movies because at the beginning and understandably so it was really corny and just not great like it just looked really really cheesy on the screen but now i think they've kind of gotten in a in a better way because how do you how do you make like people texting each other interesting Mm -hmm. right like this will be a lot of um, um zola is actually a really good example of that of like it was just a series of tweets. Like, how do you make, how do you translate that into it? And they kind of had found a very clever way of incorporating the Twitter origins of it onto the movie. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see how dumb money does. It'll be, Mm -hmm. it'll be an interesting uh, film and hopefully, hopefully good. I'm, I'm hoping it's good because I love Paul Dano and I, I, and I like Seth Rogen a lot too. So I hope it's good. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, uh, my next one is a movie called Pool Man, which was directed by Chris Pine. Mm. Every morning, Darren inspects and cleans the pool of his low-rise apartment block, a Zen ritual he performs with exacting precision, partly because it's the one thing he can do, actually nurture in his beloved city. And he looks up to Aaron Brockovich's example of social justice, writing daily letters to her about his failing fight for a better bus schedule. But after an embarrassing scuffle at a city council meeting, he hits rock bottom until a femme fatale named June Del Rey shows up at his pool step with an intriguing piece of information. 
Darren sees it as an opportunity to save Los Angeles. To get to the bottom of the case, he ropes in his idiosyncratic friends, his Pilates instructor girlfriend Susan, his therapist Diane, and her husband Jack, a washed-up director who's shooting a documentary on what might actually prove to be a dangerous conspiracy. So this sounds right up my alley in terms (laughs) of a neo-noir, shaggy dog conspiracy crime movie, which I absolutely love. The description of it is giving me shades of like Under the Silver Lake as well. And there's been a picture release of Chris Pine where he's got this ridiculous long gray (laughs) hair and big shaggy gray beard. And he's like ripped, but he's got like these headphones on and these ridiculous sunglasses. And I I see that image. I'm like, I'm sold. You don't need to tell me anymore. I'm there for this movie. And the fact that it's going to be Chris Pine's directorial debut also has me very excited. Uh, And it's got a a pretty interesting cast as well. Uh, Annette Bening and Danny DeVito are also in it. And there's some, some other people as well. Uh, is this one that crossed your radar? Yes. Uh, I'm a big, big, what are his fans called? Pine, pine cone. Piners. Do you pine yeah. for him? <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> um, but I, I really, really like Chris Pine. Um, he's somebody who, I don't know what my first movie that I saw him in. Maybe actually it might've been Star Trek. That was kind of the first time I really took notice of him. Um, but I've watched a lot of his interviews and I've read a lot of his interviews as well. And I find the thing that makes me really interested about him directing is that sometimes you read uh, interviews with certain people and actors in particular, and you can kind of hear they would be a good director. Like you can mm-hmm. kind of understand because um, the way that they speak about the filmmaking process is in a very particular way. It's not in the typical actor way they actually speak about it in a sense that like kind of in the way that everyone, not everybody, but like it was very clear Ben Affleck was always going to be a director. And I would argue he is probably a better director than he is an actor. Um, So, and it's, I'm trying to think of another example a Bill Hader. Actually, he's a great example of that. He is someone that like anytime I've heard an interview with him, I'm just, he, he is clearly a director and Chris Pine always struck me as that as well. Like just somebody who had such a good grasp and that probably comes from, he is from a Hollywood family. Like his, his father was a very successful actor himself. So maybe it comes from that, like just growing up around it and having a bit of a, uh, ingrained eye for it, I suppose. But the cast looks cool. Um, I've heard Danny DeVito talk about it a little bit on this Always Sunny podcast. Um, so I'm, I, which I didn't realize he was going to be in it. And anything Danny DeVito in is in, I find very amusing because I think his choices are very funny at this stage in his career. He's just doing things that seem to amuse him. Um, so um, I'm all game. But yeah, I'm, I'm into it. I love Chris Pine. I am a, a piner. Is that what you wanted to call yeah, us? Yeah. Yeah, sure. And, <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I'm, I'm, game for for anything he does and particularly seeing him in the director's chair um i yeah i find really fascinating nice yeah all right what is your next movie my next movie is actually in a very similar vein which is it's another actor who is also directing in this one but it's not his uh debut it is a movie called Knox go away um Knox is in K-N-O-X. And it is Michael Keaton directing. And he's also playing the character of Knox in the film as well. And Knox is a contract killer who realizes that he needs to retire because he's just getting a little bit too old um, for the job. And he is pretty set on doing this until his son shows up at his door one day covered in blood and needs his father's help to cover up a violent crime. 
that alone, I feel like, is a wonderful premise. Tack on the fact that Michael Keaton is playing Knox and his son is James Marsden. I'm very sold on that because I think James Marsden is one of the most underrated actors that we have right now. If you've seen Jury Duty, he's great in it. He's a fantastic actor. I really, really enjoy him. I think he's great in comedy. And Al Pacino is also in this movie kind of randomly, in my opinion. But um, I'm a big fan of all three of those men. And I think the concept sounds interesting. Anytime that there is a film about contract killers, but in a kind of a comedic way. And this sounds a little bit comedic to me. Um, I'm really game for it because I think it's funny when you see uh, serial killers being silly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is one that I'm intrigued by, but I'm definitely going to wait for other people to watch it first. I find I find the trio of Michael Keaton, James Marsden, and Al Pacino, I like them all, but I also find that they have a lot of misses as well, mm-hmm. and I'm not always on board with them. Even so- with Marsden? Marsden, I don't think I've seen enough to really say. Um, I think he's okay. Did you see Disturbing Behavior? I have not, no. Katie Holmes. Uh, So it is one (laughs) of those movies that I'm I'm unsure about. It sounds interesting, and I didn't know that Michael Keaton actually directed a movie before. I I just looked that up, and it's news to me. So it's one I'm going to keep an eye on, but not one I'm excited about at the moment. Fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, who wouldn't want to see Batman direct something? But that's, you know, each to their own. Each to their own. We were just talking about Ben Affleck. Why can't I watch his movies? You can. You can watch Air. Did you see? Loved it. I haven't watched Air yet, actually. Oh, it's really good. Is it? I've heard very mixed things about it, so I don't know. It's pretty good. I think you'd like it. I I like Matt Damon, too, so I'll I'll watch it. Anyways. My next movie, we're going to keep this trend going of actors directing movies, and but we're going back to directorial debuts, and that is Woman of the Hour, which is from Anna Kendrick. In the 1970s, Rodney Alcala went on a murder spree, luring women by posing as a photographer looking for models. Though already a registered sex offender and recently released from prison, he infamously appeared on The Dating Game, a show that introduced a set of three new bachelors each week, hidden from view as a woman asked them amusing questions before choosing a winner to go on an all-expensive paid trip with her. That sounds utterly terrifying, but it looks like Anna Kendrick is sort of infusing it with a bit of humor as well, and from what I understand, she really just sort of wants to explore the idea of why would someone who is in the middle of being a serial killer decide to do something so public and have his name out there. And so that's very interesting. And it sort of seems like it's a more of a slice of life biopic, which I appreciate so much more than we're going to look at them from birth to death and everything in between. And just, you know, fast forward through all the interesting stuff here. It's like, we're going to look at one specific moment in time why did this person do this? What was their motivation? Why were they feeling this way? All that sort of stuff. It just seems absolutely interesting. And Anna Kendrick is in it as well. She is uh, the young woman who is picking between the bachelors, the eligible bachelors. So this is one, it's kind of funny how we've been saying um, we typically look to like the actor, the director, who's behind it. That's what pulls Mm -hmm. us into the project more than the plot itself. This was one where I heard, I was like, oh yeah, Anna Kendrick's directing. I said, okay, I I like Anna Kendrick. I'm 
Nothing against Anna Kendrick whatsoever. But Jeff I wasn't. going to be so mad at you if you say something bad. <laughs> and she's great. I really, and she seems to have a, a, a real soft spot for Toronto in a weird, in a way. Like I've, I've noticed mm-hmm. she's, I don't know why I really link her in with a Toronto girl. She's not from here, obviously. But anyways, I wasn't completely sold on this being something that I want to watch or anything like that. Um, I thought I'll catch it later you know maybe not at tiff i'll I'll wait for it to come out in theaters or something then i quickly read the synopsis and i was like this sounds fascinating again i'm all about serial killers give me a serial killer movie and i'm into it and this sounds actually really interesting so i'm i'm excited for this one and it is on my list of movies that i am going to watch and most likely review as well i believe Oh, nice. Well, you'll be able to find uh, Jeff Ballmer, host of Classic Movies Live, <laughs> probably first in line for this movie. Just camping out, waiting for this one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Watching it every single viewing that they have. He's going to go in for it. <laughs> yes. Uh, all right. What is your last movie you want to preview? You asked me about the nature of our relationship. I needed to know who I was talking to. Were you my friend across the fire? Who are you? And if I can't answer that question? It's terribly difficult to recruit for a secret service. You're looking for somebody who's a bit bad, but at the same time loyal. There's a type. And I fitted perfectly. So the last one is called The Pigeon Tunnel, and this is the documentary. Uh, It is based off of the memoirs of Jean-Luc Carré. Carré? Oh, I did not know about this movie. Yes, it's um, so it's based off his memoir and he passed away in 2020, I believe, uh, or was 2019. He passed away not very long ago. It was basically what I'm mm-hmm. trying to say. It was just a few years ago he passed away. Uh, and But he, he had written his memoirs ahead of time and uh, was very, very warmly received. I am a big spy junkie. Like I love yeah. reading spy novels and he is obviously the guy he is the guy that you look to when you when you think about that genre in um as an author and so yeah so this documentary i believe is it has interviews with him um that i think that they kind of got it all together before he passed away obviously um and it just goes over his career and it talks it's effectively the his memoirs but brought into a documentary setting so i'm really really looking forward to this i think it's going to be a incredible documentary and um i'm very excited for it and i believe i sound like i work for apple but i believe it's coming out on apple tv plus at the end of october i don't know the exact date but point is you won't have to wait very long if you don't catch it at tiff you don't have to wait very long to watch it it's funny tiff has this like trend of movies that like will appear at the festival and then like the next week they're released (laughs) that was the woman king last year like it it had its theatrical debut in the middle of the film festival and it was kind of like well what's the point of yeah paying however much more a ticket at princess of wales theater than just going to like my local cineplex i don't know but I, i just find it silly like and actually we talked about um what was taika's movie called again next goal wins next goal wins that's coming out at the beginning of november Dumb Money comes out to September. Actually, a number of TIFF movies are coming out September 22nd. So I think Dumb Money does. And then Flora and Son, um, which has, I think, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. He's in that one. Um, Those are all debuting on the 22nd. So it used to be like film festivals like TIFF is where a lot of films got their distribution, like even bigger films. But it seems to me now just to be, here's the debut of it. And yeah. 
it's going on. But anyways, um, but yeah, Pigeon Tunnel. I'm very much so looking forward to it. I think it'll be very interesting to see, and I, I'm very excited to watch it. What yeah, is- I'm uh, I'm now very excited about it. Yeah. Uh, if if people aren't familiar with uh, Le Carre, he wrote uh, the novels that uh, based on mm-hmm. Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, The Constant Gardener, A Most Wanted Man, The Spy Who Came In from the Cold. He is he's considered the preeminent yeah. spy thriller writer of all time. Basically, all the good, like really intriguing British spy stuff that's not james bond is from him like he is Mm -hmm. yeah he is definitely certainly like the godfather of the genre i would say he's i i really enjoy his work um what is your last film my last one is called zone of interest which is Mm. from jonathan glazer so towards the final days of the holocaust hedwig is fixated on self-preservation while Rudolph is increasingly burdened by his duties, we reside inside the family's encampment with background voices of ghost-like prisoners muffled by the perpetrator's quotient musings. At one point, Hedwig and her atrocious friends joke about their new luxury goods received from Canada, the nickname of the storage facilities where such items, after being confiscated, were stored at the demise of their former neighbors. Now, this sounds like an absolutely brutally tough movie to get through. But the reason why it's on my list is Jonathan Glazer has not made a movie since Under the Skin, and it is about damn time that he returns to filmmaking. <laughs> it's funny, we were just talking on our last episode about Under the Skin with with Jericho on it, and uh, and I wanted to mention, I was like, yeah, and he hasn't made a movie since. This is his his comeback, and it's, I believe, almost completely in German, which is definitely interesting. And it's already played at some other festivals and it's getting absolutely rave reviews. And if it qualifies for international film based on the language content, it looks to be the front runner this year at the Oscars. It was also filmed in Auschwitz, which um, is one aspect of the film I find interesting. Like at first when I heard that, I kind of grimaced a little bit. I was just like, "Eh, it seems a bit. I don't want to say disrespectful. Tacky, inappropriate, disrespectful. Tacky is actually probably a good word for it. Just this idea yeah. of it being like, you know, you don't have, we know what happened there. And I visited um, Auschwitz a number of years ago now, but the very first thing that they say to you when you're there is like, this is a cemetery. Like, this is a cemetery above all else. Like, we know we're taking tour groups around here and you're seeing there's displays and museums and all that kind of stuff around. But at the end of the day, what you have to remember is that this is a cemetery for, you know, a ridiculous amount of people, right? Yeah. And so when I heard they're fil- actually filming a movie there, I was like, well, it's not a comedy. It's not like a silly, you know what I mean? Like they're not using the, the play, like they're using the scene and the setting for what it, what actually happened there. So I do understand that. But yeah, at first I was a little bit like, oh, it seems a bit much like a you don't it's a very unnecessary as well there's no reason to film there you can film in many other places but then i don't know i've kind of come around to it the more i think about it and every time the movie comes up um the title comes up i think about it a little bit more and i think it is just telling a story of what happened there and uh especially in today's very strange discourse there are people who don't believe it happened and so it's kind of it's okay. I suppose. I mean, I can't speak for it, to be honest. I mean, I'm not in any position to say whether it's okay or not, but it seems to me like if, if it's, if it takes having to actually film in this place so that people can actually say 
believe what happened there, then maybe that's helpful. I don't know. But um, I am interested to see it, though. I think that it is sounds really fascinating. I like Jonathan Glazer as well. Um, but yeah, that bit, I'm still a bit, I suppose I'm a, a little bit like a seesaw about it. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's absolutely fair. It is going to be really tough subject matter to sit through mm-hmm. and not one that's going to be a fun movie to enjoy. I think it's going to really sort of dig deep at the evil of humanity and and what people are able to, um, unfortunately, you know, successfully do when they put their minds to yeah. it. And it's, it's going to be a really tough watch, but because Glazer is behind it and someone who I really respect, I, I have high hopes that it's been handled with the, with the tact and dignity that a story like this, uh, needs to have to be told. And it sounds like that is the case. I feel like it has mm. screened, as you said, in a number of places already. Um, and if it wasn't handled in a respectful manner, if it wasn't done in a way that isn't tacky, that isn't appropriate, I feel like we would have heard about it by now, right? Like, I feel like a lot of people would have been up in arms about it because um, I'm sure that this movie had a target on its back just simply because of where they filmed it and the subject matter of it. So the fact that I haven't really heard too much about people calling it out and saying this and that about it makes me pretty optimistic that I think that it was a movie done in, um, in tribute to what happened there in, in a very kind of solemn and respectful manner. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that was just a handful of movies that we are excited about. What a downer uh, movie to end on. (laughs) Yeah, sorry about that. I maybe shouldn't have done it in alphabetical order. <laughs> um, but there is plenty of more of exciting stuff to check out. Uh, Rachel, I know you're going to have boots on the ground there checking stuff out, and you're going to be doing coverage for a whole bunch of different publications, I imagine. I'm uh, I'm working to get some screeners and, and doing reviews and, and hoping to get some other people involved doing some reviews. I don't want to share too much yet about uh, what our, all of our plans are, but... Uh, yeah, there'll be there'll be lots of TIFF coverage uh, from you, right, Rachel? Yes, um, it'll be on Exclaim, of course. Um, I'm going to be doing a few things on POV Magazine. I actually interviewed a director for a short film that I cannot recommend enough. And I know a lot of people skip over the short films, um, but there is one called Aphasia, which uh, is a... N- neurodegenerative disorder that is very common in Alzheimer's patients and any if you've had a stroke um, or anything that can affect the nervous system basically um, aphasia is a pretty common disorder to come with it and it's just this like under four minute clip and I got to speak with the director of it and she's uh, an artist in Montreal and I had an amazing time talking to her uh, and um, Marielle Delpe I'm pretty sure I butchered her last name there, but um, I would recommend that if you're looking for TIFF stuff as well, actually, that is um, if whatever short program that's a part of, I would really recommend it. So anyways, exclaim POV. And then of course the Asian cut, um, I'm going to be having coverage in those three spots. Nice. Oh, and here as well, obviously. Yes. Yeah. We will, of course, 
obviously we will be doing a wrap-up podcast uh, as well and we're working on trying to secure some interviews and hopefully do an interview episode as well which is always really fun to do during tiff so there's going to be lots of great tiff content on contrazoom pod uh, so make sure you are bookmarking contrazoompod.com to be able to see that uh yeah rachel where can uh, people find you you kind of mentioned some stuff you were working on but uh, if people want to find this work where would they find it you can go to rachelho.com and i'm on instagram and twitter at underscore rachel kh fantastic this has been a that shelf podcast visit thatshelf.com for more great film discourse you can follow the show on instagram twitter and threads at contrazoom pod what films playing at TIFF are you most excited for? Send an email to contrazoompod at gmail.com. Thank you to Eric and Kevin Smale for the theme music and to Stephanie Pryor for the logo design. If you like to listen to podcasts on YouTube, we do post all episodes there as well. And if you really like the show, consider tipping us on coffee. Thanks for checking us out. Mm-hmm.